Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm sure as parents, we all know how messy things can get, whether that's around the house, during mealtimes, and even when it comes to our little ones themselves. When it comes to wiping Alf's messy face and body, I want to be sure that what I am using is the best choice for his skin. With baby eczema and nappy rash being common conditions, using wipes for sensitive skin is a must. We've both been loving water wipes. We've actually used them since Alf was born and they gently clean and help protect delicate newborn and premature baby's skin. They're made of just two ingredients, so 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. That means they are the best wipe choice for sensitive skin. Alf loves them and I I even find myself using them. Well, hello, happy Monday. And sorry if I sound really breathy. I feel like I've reached that stage of pregnancy where you walk around and you just can't catch your breath. And I had train problems getting into the studio today. And I still feel like even though I got here quite a few minutes ago, I just can't catch a breath. So... I hope this doesn't sound like absolutely horrific to listen to, but um, I'm really excited about today's podcast episode. I feel like I need to put a trigger warning at the beginning as we will be discussing themes around uh, miscarriage and also um, suicide and suicidal ideation. I woke up this morning and I read a article which actually I wish that had been around when I was in that kind of I'd say the dark days of motherhood, which for me came around six months postnatal with Alf. And it was actually on the Mail Online. It's not often that I'll be here praising articles on the Mail Online, um, but it's in the female section. And it is um, an art- article that was actually uh, written anonymously or at least under a pseudonym. And um, she said, I spent eight years and £100,000 to have a baby. So why did I loathe being a mum? One brave woman breaks the ultimate taboo and says achieving her dream made her feel like she's ruined her life. And I just wanted to touch on how amazing I think it is that someone has written about this because I remember from like say one to six months I was on cloud nine with Alf. I couldn't imagine why anyone would have any complaints or Uh, worries about motherhood and then I think a combination of moving away from my friends moving out of London and I think just like when the tiredness and the permanence sort of kicked in and trying to get back to work but still breastfeeding and after not taking a bottle and various things I remember just thinking 
what have I done? Like I used to love my life and everybody kind of, when I said I didn't want children, everyone kind of insinuated that my life could never be complete unless I had a child. And now I have a child and I feel like I've completely ruined my life. And I remember I, I used to feel awful guilt because I'd sit up in the night feeling so depressed and Googling like, is it normal to regret having a child? And what's really interesting in this article, um, they spoke to a psychologist, a chartered psychologist and parenting specialist. And she said, um, it's difficult to talk about how common this reaction to the culture shock of motherhood is, as it's so taboo to admit that things aren't how you thought they'd be. But she believes the combination of chronic sleep deprivation and loss of identity felt by many career women when they have had a child contribute to many new mothers feeling this way. I should also add that um, a close friend of mine who lives in my area who went through a long, lengthy, expensive IVF journey who isn't a career woman now. She gave up her career in order to have a child. She also had these feelings of regret as well. So I would just interject that and say, I don't think it's just career women that go through these feelings. And it's something I really want to talk about because I think the word postnatal depression is thrown around. And by the way, very, very serious and I'm not undermining postnatal depression, but it's interesting that there it's like the culture shock of motherhood because I ponder whether or not I had postnatal depression or whether I just had no idea of it, literally the culture shock. So I'm really excited about today's guest. She is a mum of three herself, so has definitely been through all stages of motherhood. And she is the founder of Mind Mommy Coaching. So she's a life coach for mums. Um, her name is Laura Guckian, and she supported over a thousand mums in achieving positive mental well-being. Laura, thank you so much, first of all, for coming on the podcast. It's such a well-timed guest. You're basically, yeah, a well-timed guest to have on. And I can't wait to not only hear about your own journey, but also how you're working to support mums in the workplace. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me here today, Ashley. Like everything you're describing there in the intro, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. There's so much to talk about. And I think it's really key to start off this podcast by saying, like you mentioned there, I'm a mum of three. Um, I'm a life coach for mums. My business is Mind Mommy Coaching. But really the core of that is where it all started was a massive promise I made to myself at probably the lowest moment of my life sitting in hospital. And the promise was, if I manage to pull myself out of this, I am going to do everything I possibly can to ensure that no other mom experiences this or feels like this. And I've kept that story private for almost six years, Ashley. <laughs> and today I'm going to share every piece of that you with you. And I'm so nervous, but I need to share it because there's moms out there that are experiencing this, that have experienced it. And even if they haven't experienced the full extent of my journey, they're going to connect with something I'm saying. And we need to talk about it because while my story has a really sad and heartbreaking beginning, it has a beautiful ending. And I want that for every mom listening today. Oh, well, first of all, I'm so grateful that you're choosing to share your story um, with us. But also, please don't feel <laughs> nervous. I was saying to you just before as well, like, you know... I understand it is nerve wracking to tell personal stories, but I feel like yeah. there's so much solidarity and unity. And the more we talk about things, the less you have, you know, people like me, new mums Googling at four in the morning, yeah. am I a monster? 
um, and am I the only one who feels this way or what's wrong with me? And it's so great. And yeah, why don't we start? So you said the lowest time of your life. So why don't you start by telling us your story? It started like most moms. Um, I was very lucky to get pregnant really quickly with my first child, um, Leo. He's now six years old. So that little baby is now a little boy. And everything was great. She got pregnant really quick, which I've now learned is an absolute privilege. Had, generally speaking, like a good pregnancy. I had a few little hiccups, but generally speaking, it was fine. I was really excited about becoming a mom, actually. Like everything I read about was this is going to be the best time of your life. You know, when your baby arrives, you're going to get this gush of love. It's all going to be magical. And life was good. I was at the peak at the time of my marketing career. Uh, I had just got married. My husband and I lived in this beautiful apartment in Dublin. Like life was good. And then Leo arrived. And the only way I can describe it is, so had my labor, he was handed to me. And I just remember, it's like a light switch went off, actually. It was like, this doesn't feel like I thought it would feel. Where's this gush of love? Suddenly this fear just took over and I couldn't quite explain it. And I already felt like I must be doing something wrong here, right? I was told this would be amazing. It's not. And the first few months with Leo were extremely tough. So Leo had severe silent reflux. And if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's basically where their esophagus acid reflux keeps going up and down and they can't feed. They constantly cry. So essentially I was handed as a first time mom, a really, really sick baby who refused to eat. Uh, who cried 24-7, who didn't sleep. I literally couldn't bring him for a walk. And I remember thinking, like, nobody told me that this would be this hard. And I had to fight to get him diagnosed. He was three months old. Every specialist I went to said, you're just not winding him right. All babies cry. It was really dismissive. And during this process, I could feel myself becoming more and more unwell, right? And... At the same time, I was like, I know I'm not feeling well, but I need to take care of him. I need to get him diagnosed. I'll take care of myself when. And I just felt like I'm the only mom that feels like this. Why am I finding it so hard? Everyone else is finding it so easy. And little by little, I was becoming so unwell. And I remember him being diagnosed at three months and me like hugging the consultant pediatrician going, I knew that's what it was. As his mom, I knew And what followed then were like probably six months of a really tough journey where he still didn't get better. He was waking every 20 to 30 minutes at night. I couldn't bring him for a walk. I couldn't leave the house with him. It was really, really tough. And I suppose to sum up where it got to, it ended where he was about nine months old. And it was probably, and I shared this with you initially, like the most defining moment of my life where it was a Sunday morning and I just realized I, I can't do this anymore. I have asked every healthcare professional. I have been screaming for help and nobody is helping me. And I remember thinking, because at the time, a lot of my friends didn't have kids. So I was one of the first. And I was like, it's a Sunday morning. I need whoever I ring to pick up. They have to pick up. And not only that, they have to help me because I can't do this anymore. I rang my best friend, Claire, and she says it to this day, she just said something was wrong. Like after two pick two rings, she picked up and her response was just, are you okay, Laura? And I really honestly said, Claire, I'm really not. I need you to help me. I'm not good. 
So best friend Claire literally made sure I was okay and Leo was okay. And she rang me back a half hour later and was literally like, this is the plan. This is what I need you to do tomorrow. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so the plan was I went back into the GP who wasn't listening to me with my husband and with baby Leo. And it was basically like, I need you to refer me into a psychiatric hospital and I need you to do it now. And the GP was notably startled. She was like, I, it was like she was the first mom she ever saw this distressed. She said, okay, leave it with me. I'm going to call you back in the afternoon. Grand. We went home and bear in mind, I was someone who was studying psychology at the time. I had been volunteering with a mental health charity. So I was someone who would be quite aware of mental health, mental illness and what to do. And even for someone like me, I couldn't access the support I needed. So that was the first thing. So she eventually rang us back that afternoon. And initially I had requested to be referred in as a day patient. And she called back. I'm laughing saying this now. It's not funny at all. And she called back saying, look, Laura, I found a way to get you in quicker. Now, I don't know if this was a strategy of hers, but it's going to require you to stay overnight. And I said, okay, fine. That's great. That sounds wonderful. Because bear in mind, I was severely sleep deprived. All I was thinking was, this is amazing. I'm going to go and spend a few nights in a hospital and I'm going to get sleep. So that was the plan. A few days later, a bed became available. And as I'm saying this now, I'm literally, it probably doesn't even sound like a big deal. But when I think back of it, it breaks my heart. So my mum and dad came up. I was there like packing my bag and I was texting one or two of my close friends to say, look, this is going to sound way worse than it is, but... I'm just going into a hospital for a few nights. Now, I'm just kind of doing it to cheat the system. I'll be back out again. I'm just going in for some rest because I'm not really that unwell. I just need sleep. So, like, I remember the moment it was time to go and I can remember Leo just, like, screaming for me and my mom and dad just kind of taking him and going for him a walk, like, bringing him for a walk. And it was just the defining moment of, oh, my God, that's my little baby. And I can't take care of him anymore. Like, I now have to leave him because I've ignored my needs so much so that I now can't function. And my husband and I just stayed in the apartment. My mom and dad took him out for a walk. And I remember as we walked out of the apartment, I remember slightly seeing my mom and dad in the distance and me thinking, it's okay, Laura, it's okay. You're doing this because you need to be okay to take care of him. You're doing this for him just keep going keep walking just go and it was this moment we were a little early and my husband and I were sitting in a coffee shop before I like checked into hospital and it was this weird moment where the two of us were like this is the first time we've been alone in nine months and what tragic circumstances where we're now alone because I'm basically dropping my wife off to a psychiatric hospital we went into the hospital and I think it's really important to talk about this because before I went to hospital I would have thought psychiatric hospital what do you think of like padded cells and all of these really scary thoughts and it was nothing like that all I was thinking is can I leave at any time and they were like well technically yes you can but if at any point we feel like you're a danger to yourself we keep you here I was like okay that's fine so answered all the questions and went upstairs. And I remember at that point, my husband, Brendan, had to leave me. And I remember I was still in the mind frame of, I'm actually fine. Everyone else here is unwell, but I'm just really here for a few nights sleep. I'm explaining this level of detail because I think people need to understand that I talk about every day through Mind Mommy Coaching, the importance of prioritizing your needs as a mom and taking care of yourself. And I've been saying that all along without people understanding why I'm saying it. And 
yes, I am the extreme of what can happen. But as mums, we have to take care of our needs because there's real consequences. And I remember being there and Brendan is gone and I'm still sort of smiling, going, this is great. I'm going to get a night of sleep. And I'm starting to search my bag. And that's when it really hit me. They were like, they took now. I don't know where I thought I was going. Actually, I had my hair straightener, my makeup. Like I clearly thought I was going on a girl's weekend. And I remember them taking my hair straightener and razor off me. I was like, why are you doing that? And they were like, oh, well, you can't have them, Laura. It was just a moment of, oh, maybe they're taking it because someone else might harm themselves with it, but I'm fine. So they took all of that stuff off me and... I was probably in hospital two or three days, just going about everything, thinking I'll be out of here in a few days. And I think it was on day three where literally, I can't describe what happened. I just collapsed to the floor crying. It's like it all just came out. And I remember one of the nurses came in and just, she literally just didn't say a word. She said, she literally got on the ground with me, held my hand and just said, Laura, you're in hospital. We're going to take care of you now. And it was at that moment I realized, right, Laura, you're not okay. You're in a psychiatric hospital and you need to get better so that you can get back to your little boy. And I still thought at this stage, I'm probably going home at the weekend. It just wasn't, it was such a surreal experience, actually, to be in a hospital. And I remember then the next day, so there's like a multidisciplinary team that you meet with. It was quite intimidating. You go in and they're in this semicircle and you have like your consultant psychiatrist and your psychologist and your registrar and you might have like a social worker and a nurse and I remember walking into this beautiful glamorous consultant psychiatrist and she said hi Laura and I said hi you know thanks for having me um what time can I go on Friday (laughs) and she put it to me and well Laura our priority now is to take care of you and make sure you get better and we need to understand what's caused you to be in here. And typically when people come here, they stay here for maybe eight weeks. And I literally nearly fell off the chair. And I remember coming out ringing my best friend, Claire, and saying, um, they're going to keep me here for two months. And I was still in absolute disbelief. And so I ended up staying there actually for over two months. And while I was in there, they very quickly determined, wait, we don't think this is postnatal depression as we understand it, for many reasons. We need to figure out what's going on with you. It was full of so many different people. Lots of them were women and lots of them were moms, actually. And the key theme I noticed was, again, if you're in a psychiatric hospital, it's a common thing of, what are you in here for? Why are you here? And I kept saying, I don't really know. They're trying to figure out. They thought it was postnatal depression, but they're trying to figure it out. And so many of the other women in there, the moms, were saying the same thing. I don't know why I'm here. And they weren't just mums of newborn babies. They were mums of teenagers, mums across the board. I don't know why I'm here. So I was there for almost two months. They discharged me. And I remember the morning I was being discharged and I was standing at reception with one of the friends I made there. And Brendan was coming to collect me. I was almost like, I don't want to go. And I remember my friend saying so clearly, Laura, you were going to walk out of here And you are never going to come back because they can't help you. And I thought, you're so right. I need to go and figure out what happened. And I need to put myself back together. And I left that hospital probably as broken as I was going in, but I wasn't as exhausted. They had somehow put me back together enough so that I could say, right, how do I put my life back together? The thing we don't realize probably is when you leave a hospital like that, 
doesn't mean you're better. And I think that's a real misconception out there. It means you're just beginning your journey. And another thing we don't realize is when we don't take care of our mums, actually, it just has a massive ripple effect. It wasn't just me. It had an impact on my child in every way. There was such delayed bonding, delayed connection, everything. We had to move out of Dublin back to my hometown, um, which I always say is something I needed to do, but not what I wanted to do. And I think sometimes in life, we have to do what we need and not what we want. I feel emotional listening to this, mainly because... I relate it to my own experience and my own thoughts during this time, but also probably similar to you, this kind of overall sadness that so often mums are overlooked. And even me in my first pregnancy, you know, I was thinking when I'd hear people talk about the struggles, how I would translate that would be, I just hear negativity. And I was like, mums are so negative. Mums are so negative. I'll cope because, you know, I'm hardworking and I'm resilient and I'm under no illusions and I don't need sleep because I spent my 20s in nightclubs and I just had no real empathy or understanding of how hard it was. And when you say that you are unwell, do you mind kind of saying exactly what you felt? It started with feelings of, if you imagine the little inner critic in your head, the stuff you're talking about there. So my reality of motherhood is not matching up to what the narrative of motherhood is. Therefore, I'm doing it wrong. I'm not good enough. I'm a bad mom. I can't do this. I'm weak. I'm ungrateful. That sort of escalated to a point where I would wake in the morning, a sense of absolute dread. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like the effort to get out of bed, to shower. I wouldn't say that I was suicidal, in that I didn't want to live anymore. And I think it's really important to touch on this because I've heard this from so many moms. It's not that I didn't want to live anymore, but it was a feeling of, I can't be here anymore, right? This is so hard, I can't be here anymore. And there were feelings like you described at the very start. I think I've made the worst decision of my life being a mom. Why did I do this? I regret it. And then you're filled with absolute guilt of you shouldn't be saying that you should be so grateful because I did love my child I absolutely adored him but it was just this sense of this is so hard I'm screaming for help I don't understand what's happening to me all I decided to do was have a baby why has my world suddenly ripped apart like a grenade it just continued like that to a point where slowly over time actually I couldn't function and it was happening so subtly my my husband started working from home which wasn't a thing that this was six years ago I suddenly just couldn't do the things I normally could really small things in my life and it did literally boil over that morning with that phone call to my friend and I honestly don't know what would have happened if she hadn't got me the help I needed that time. And I think every mom feels this at some level. That's why it's important to say it. Every mom has felt guilt. We have felt, I can't share how I'm really feeling because if I do, it means there's something wrong with me or I'm ungrateful. And if you're that mom listening now, I need you to hear me in. We are absolutely criticizing ourselves and killing ourselves because the pressure we're putting ourselves on to be this perfect mother or to meet that societal expectation of motherhood. And it doesn't exist, Ashley. The reality is more like what you and I have experienced. And I believe every woman experiences it on a spectrum. Yes, mine is the extreme, but we have all felt it, Ashley. And we need to start talking about it and we need to normalize it 
because the more we do that, the more we can prepare women for what's to come. I feel emotional listening to your story and I can hear how emotional you are. And I remember for me, when we moved, it was during the Euros and bear in mind, we were just coming out of lockdown. And I think coming out of lockdown was a big kind of catalyst for my feelings because I felt like all everyone else's life went back to a kind of normal, a pre-lockdown normal. And that's when it hit me how much my life yeah. was not normal anymore, as as normal as I knew it before lockdown. Bear in mind, I went into lockdown and I didn't live with Tommy. I, I always said I didn't want to live with a partner. And, you know, then I feel like we kind of all went into this like weird state where we weren't really seeing anyone and there was no social, like, social life. There was no socializing. Nobody met Al for the first four months of his life. And then suddenly everyone else was back partying, celebrating. And I'd gone from seeing my friends like four times a week to suddenly not seeing them at all. And the Euros were on and Tommy kept wanting to go watch football on the weekend with all his friends in like these big day parties. And I remember thinking in my head, you can't leave me. Like I, don't, I can't be on my own with hit, with Alf, but then feeling too guilty to be able to voice that because I was like, how can I stop him from socializing just because I can't because of the, the breastfeeding or whatever it was. And I remember one day, like the kind of catalyst of it all, I started having like these really repeated suicidal ideations. And I would say similar to you, it's not really that I think I ever would have yeah. committed suicide. And bear in mind, I lost a friend to suicide just before lockdown. But I was like, my mind kept going to that. Place. It was like this obsessive imagery that was replaying in my mind. And I was so scared to be on my own. But then when I thought about that, I felt so guilty about that. A, because I'd lost a friend that way. And I know the loss that it leaves, but also the guilt. Because I was like, well, then I can't even do that because then Alf will be out without yeah. mum. And then that will cause all these, like, and I was like, I'm trapped. I'm trapped. I don't want to be here, but I can't, like, and I can't tell anyone. And I think like similar to what you said, so much of how I felt was because I sacrificed myself for Alf and for his happiness like everything from the you know the lack of sleep breastfeeding around the clock all of those things I didn't see a way out of it but I didn't want anyone to know that I was struggling because I didn't want them to think it meant that I wasn't a good mum because I it was because I was such a good mum in a way I know you can be a good mum and not run yourself to the ground but you know I was trying to I was putting Alf's needs and Alf's first and foremost for so long that I felt I had nothing left. And I remember ringing my friends, Charlotte and Steph, who I hadn't seen for months. And I don't know what I said on the phone, but they drove straight to mine and they took me out for the day. Um, and yeah, but it, I think it, it's so important and to me, like even before, you know, when I got pregnant, I was like, I'm not gonna be one of those mums who talks about being a mum all the time and has a mum podcast and now here I am. But it's because I want to tell these stories and similar to you because I I don't want people to feel like what I felt which is that they were like completely on their own for having these weird and horrible thoughts. It's that sense of not wanting to feel alone and once we realize we're not alone then we're not broken then it's not us then it's actually the bigger piece of maybe this is the reality of motherhood and we're just not talking about it enough the sad fact is, is right, we know that suicide is the leading, leading cause of maternal death. We know that as women, we go through matrescence. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that, but... I love... The term matrescence got me through, actually, the whole journey. I'd say now I'm out on the other side, which is also why I felt like you know, I was in a position to do it all over again. Because, I, yeah, I feel like I've kind of 
come through that journey and out the other side. Yeah, and and again, I didn't know that saying, and I wish I did know it. But if you scan a woman's brain, you can see if she's carried a baby to full term. So the facts are there. We change physically. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, if you scan a woman who's carried a baby to full term, we change. It's not what just is in our brains change. Our brain, or? our brain change. So the makeup, like we we emotionally and psychologically change. The brain, I'm not quite sure what changes, but they can tell. So they're the facts, right? And when we become pregnant and have our child, we are the most vulnerable we ever will be in our life from a psychological perspective. So what that means is if you were ever prone to a little bit of anxiety, if you ever had an underlying condition. Even if you never experienced a mental health challenge in your life, this is the time it's most likely going to happen and you're going to feel it tenfold. So there are the facts. That's not me making that up. That's part of what I've learned in my journey over the last few years. But yet that doesn't match up or match to the care we give to in the antenatal or postnatal period. It's all based on the baby. And which is also important, but where's the care of the mom? Where's the education around this? Because in my experience, I was handed a leaflet on the baby blues and postnatal depression. And that's just not going to cut it, Ashley. We need so much more than that. We need support and education. I don't know what it's like in Ireland, but even the fact that, you know, we're not getting physical checks. So essentially we're left scared of our bodies, whether that's C-section or vaginal. I remember going to the six-week appointment and it was mainly all about ALF. And then I remember being like, oh, can, sorry, are my, are my stitches okay? And they, they didn't check them, but they then started talking to me about contraception. And I remember thinking like, I'm shitting myself, literally and figuratively. And I don't know if my stitches are healed. I'm too scared to like even touch down there. Like, and you think that I'm thinking about sex right now. And it made me feel, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it made me feel dismissed about my genuine physical recovery, but also it kind of, put that pressure that's already there in society that like well your partner should be getting sex by now so you know are you thinking about it and I remember saying to Tommy like by the way I just want you to know like I'm just I'm just not ready yet and Tommy was like do you think I want to have sex with you he was like Ashley I literally watched you I heard the sound of your vagina ripping like do you not think I'm scared of hurting you and that was the first time I'd considered it from a non sort of caveman beating his like penis (laughs) around being like man nude sex or I'll leave you and I was like oh yeah like of course men deserve better than that narrative as well like but I remember hearing it all through my life like you know from whoever or whatever like oh yeah you know after she had kids she didn't have sex anymore so he had an affair but you know you that you you need to still provide you need to put your husband first or whatever it was and that was kind of like drilled into me so I remember being like kind of so relieved when I, like Tommy was like I don't want to go near you either and also I'm knackered too like why would we want to have sex when we could go to bed 20 minutes earlier <laughs> and I think that's a key point you're touching on there that again the narrative needs to change around this I did a recent poll on my Instagram page and like 95% of my followers said they experienced massive conflict in their relationship after they became parents, that like their whole dynamic of their relationship changed. And I think that's really important too, because that has an impact on our mental health as women. Motherhood is not this glorious picture that we've been told. It's, it's full of changes. We change as people, everything changes and that has a stress. But again, as you say, when you went to your doctor, they were talking about contraception. It's so removed from what our reality is. And then that leaves you thinking, well, 
maybe everyone else is having sex. Why am I not having sex? You know, again, it's our reality is not matching the narrative. It's the narrative that's wrong. I'm sure as parents, we all know how messy things can get, whether that's around the house, during mealtimes, and even when it comes to our little ones themselves. When it comes to wiping Alf's messy face and body, I want to be sure that what I am using is the best choice for his skin. With baby eczema and nappy rash being common conditions, using wipes for sensitive skin is a must. We've both been loving water wipes. We've actually used them since Alf was born and they gently clean and help protect delicate newborn and premature baby's skin. They're made of just two ingredients, so 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. That means they are the best wipe choice for sensitive skin. Alf loves them and I I even find myself using them. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. What could people have done or said to support you better? Because I think about this a lot because I think there's a lot of like what we'd call toxic positivity. So say if I ever tried to talk about how I was feeling, either it was met with, well, you know, you're a mum now, so of course you can't go see your friends four times a week like you used to. And then I remember being like, oh God, so I have ruined my life then because my friends have always been my family. And if I can't see my family anymore... Or they would say, oh, well, at least your health, at least, you know, you survived childbirth or at least your child's healthy or, you know, you should, lots of people can't have children. And it was always this kind of like, well, you should be grateful. And then that would kind of put this extra guilt of like, oh God, am I not being grateful and appreciative? Like, you know, should I just shut up basically? Yeah. Um, And also probably similar to you that a lot of my friends hadn't, well, most, none of my friends had had babies. So I, I was, I, I genuinely didn't, I felt like they didn't necessarily relate or they couldn't relate and even though they wanted to be there they didn't know how to be there that's key about your friends when they're not at that stage yet because when my friends then became moms they were like oh my goodness Laura we get it now and I think for me the biggest thing was to be heard nobody was hearing me so to feel heard um, and to get the support I needed and it just wasn't there. But I think for someone, if I had known what I know now, 
it would have changed everything. When I was in the middle of it, if someone said, actually, you're going through matresses. <laughs> this is why you're feeling like this. Actually, all your beliefs and values have changed. You have changed as a person. Actually, you're grieving your own life and that's perfectly okay. Actually, you're completely sleep deprived and all your basic needs are not being met. This is a normal part of becoming a mom and you're going through it. If someone had been able to name it, I wouldn't have blamed myself thinking it's just me. We always say now with the benefit of hindsight of motherhood, like I wish someone had warned me or I wish someone had told me, but when I was pregnant, I was like, why do people keep telling me negative stories? I don't want to hear negative stories. How can you support new mums? And there might be people in their first um, pregnancy listening. And by the way, I hope none of this scares you. And I hope it, if, you, hopefully you never experience any of these things, but if you do, I hope that when you do, you know that you aren't alone with it. But what I find tricky now is a lot of my friends who are currently pregnant, and there is a few, it's almost like, it is a bit like dealing not with children because that's not fair because but it, you know it's almost like they don't know yet so there's like a naivety they're still thinking in pragmatic terms like I did like oh well my child won't be sleeping in my bed and he I'll be back to work after two weeks and I'll be back to normal after six weeks and I'll be doing this and this and obviously you don't want to be like one of those like sort of negative people because hopefully their experience is only positive but how can we also help them or basically can you just not offer them support until they need it yeah well I think there's two answers to that I think you know it's how can you support as a friend but then as society as society it's that educational piece actually it's not the that we're trying to scare women but it's the education and this is what's going to happen to you this is how you might feel this is what you might experience this is all normal this is what you can do if this happens I think that's really key, that our antenatal and postnatal care needs to shift to care of the mom. The mom is the foundation. If she goes down, it has a ripple effect. Everything goes down. So she has to be taken care of. Like you look at other countries, Germany do this. When you're a mom, they actually give you, I'm not sure, is it a doula or midlife, midwife? She comes to your home for, I think, I could be wrong in saying it's maybe 12 weeks, every day for a few hours to take care of the mom to be there emotionally and to support her with any physical things she might need. That doesn't exist in Ireland or the UK. Yeah, unless you pay for it. But even even the option to pay for it, people don't know. Like I didn't know about doula. Um, obviously, whether you can afford it is different, but you're right. And even I, I think France, they have six weeks free physio afterwards. So at least you're kind of dealing, somebody is kind of listening to you with the recovery and not just giving you a leaflet on the baby blues and contraception. It, exactly. And I think that's key. I remember traveling in Cuba when I was younger and they have this amazing thing there where when the moms are coming up to their due date, they put them into this house. And at the time I was like, that's not very nice. But when I became a mom, I was like, I would have loved that. You were put into a little house beside the hospital. You had your baby and then you were taken back there for as long as you wanted, where they took care of you and the baby. They cooked for you. They helped you rest. They basically built the mom back up so that she could then go home and take care of her baby. Um, and uh, that's, just, that's just not considered here. It's like, your baby is out, great. We don't care about you now. We literally don't care about you. And I think from a friend perspective, it's literally just about really asking, how are you really feeling? Like, it's not how are you feeling, like, how are you really feeling? Stop asking, how's the baby feeding? How's the baby sleeping? How are you feeling? What can I do to help? Is there anything I can do? And very much so, it's just about having someone to talk to about it. 
And I, I think that's really the two key things that if I had had that, I don't think I would have ended up where I ended up. And that's what makes me so angry about it. That did not need to happen to me, actually. But it happened because the health system in Ireland failed me. The professionals I was screaming for help from failed me. Um, I mean, we rang up a mental health charity. They didn't know what to tell me. So I always feel torn when I say to mums, if you're feeling unwell, ask for help. Because I know that that help isn't always there. And that's what really scares me. It wasn't there for me. And also it's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes you want to feel like you can talk, but without necessarily somebody giving you a solution. And what I mean by that is, so I felt in my own personal feeding journey, yes, very lucky that I got to breastfeed. But because um, a lot of people's journeys finish for various reasons, you know, six weeks, two months, three months, six months, I felt in the kind of later stages, which was when my mental health started to deteriorate, that anytime I said like I'm struggling with the demands of breastfeeding because Alf wouldn't take a bottle so I could never go, I, I was seeing like mums that gave birth at a similar time to me going out with friends for dinner again and doing all these things that I felt like I couldn't do. And every time I tried to talk about it, people were like, well, just give him a bottle. Just give him a bottle, it'll be fine, yeah. just give him a bottle. And I was yeah. like, but you're not listening to, like, that's not what I want to do. But I, I almost felt like nobody just want, yeah, that must be really hard. That must, And, you know, get having to turn down work or DJ gigs or having to take Alf to TV studios. And by the way, I, I fully understand the privilege of being, of having that as an option. But it was like this sort of, vicious cycle that I wanted to get back into TV and DJing because I didn't want to be like dismissed as being just a mom. But then I was putting myself there probably too early and therefore having to bring Alf because I needed him then Katie needed to feed and therefore I was on TV breastfeeding. So it was almost like cementing my role as a mom even further. And I remember just being like, how does everyone else just go back and make it look so easy. And who, I remember even the childcare thing, like who's looking after them? Like, do they have, how are they making it look like they can just go back to normal and I can't? Like, what am I doing wrong? And I, I think I wish that people would just be like, do you know what, that actually sounds really tough. Like, do you want me to come over and we can watch a movie, even if you're breastfeeding, as opposed to, I feel like they're sort of, the pleasantries of the beginning of like oh my god new mom amazing they kind of people get a bit bored of it after a few months and then it's like when are we gonna get the normal you back and I remember speaking to a friend and she said how's Alf and I started answering the question and I could see her eyes go blank and I was like oh god she actually didn't really care about the answer she was being polite so I kind of tailed off and then she was like so what else is new and I remember being like shit shit, think of something, think of something. You don't want to be that person. Like you you promised yourself you wouldn't be that person that had nothing else to talk about. And I remember thinking, I've got nothing. And I went, oh, there's there's, no, there's nothing else. There's not, and I remember going, leaving, feeling so deflated because even though I understand why she asked the question, it made me feel so shit because I was like, I have nothing to give anymore. Yeah, because your whole life had changed. And that's the thing your whole identity changed, your whole everything has changed. And it's like when you become a mom, a door shuts behind you and you can never, ever go back. The life as you know it is gone. And it's okay to grieve that. It's okay to wonder, have I made the right choice? It doesn't mean you don't love your child. It's just, if, if anything else happened in life where you went to bed as one person and woke up as another, it would be a shock to the system. 
But yet we expect women to just transition into motherhood and just do it gracefully and do it all. And it's not possible because we have changed and we need to be supported through that. And I just think people don't know how to support women through that. That's the key. They don't know. So going back to your own story so that we can talk about, you know, what you do with Mind Mummy Coaching. So when you came out of the hospital, you said that was really like the beginning of the recovery. So what happened from there and how did you get to sort of such a strong point and to a position where you were like, do you know what? I'm going to have two more children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was really, and I think that's a really positive part that we talk about in a while for anyone that's experiencing this and scared to have a second baby. So I left that hospital probably as broken as I was going in. My husband then took another few months off work and I started going into intense therapy. And I was going through all this therapy and I was like, it's still not working. I'm not connecting with it. Um, and we moved home, left our lives in Dublin. All of our lives were in Dublin. Our careers, everything left, moved home. And for probably a year, I couldn't really function. I had my mom and dad would have to come and help me every day while my husband went to work. I, it's like I had become a child again. And I remember this moment in my life going, right, I want to have another child, but I'm terrified. I'm terrified this will happen again. And it was a decision of, I need to do it because I love my child and I want him to have a sibling. And if it happens again, so be it. Longer term view is, I'll imagine them when they're 10 years old playing, I'm going to do this. And it was a really hard decision to go, I'm going to do it again. And I ended up having two miscarriages. And while the logical part of my brain knew that was like a biological thing that happened, and I think that's the really hard part about having a miscarriage is you never get your answer why. As women, we go, why did that happen? What did I do wrong? And we didn't do anything wrong. I think is it one in three women experience? Well, I, I, I don't know. It's, it probably is. I think they say one in four, but I believe it's probably higher. And again, it's one of those things as women, we don't share. You know, don't tell anyone you're pregnant until you're 12 weeks. Why? If I have a miscarriage, I want the support of friends and family. So as those miscarriages were happening, I was like, right, I'm just not meant to be a mom. This is punishment. I don't deserve a child because I messed it up so much the first time. I don't deserve to have kids. I'm not capable of being a mother. And it was at that moment, it was after my second miscarriage. And I remember it so clearly. It was a Wednesday at 4 p.m. And I remember it to that level. And again, it was one of those defining moments in my life. And just this rage built up in me. And it was like, this was two years after I had left hospital now. So I had been really unwell for two years. I had to leave my career in marketing. Now, granted, the organization I worked for at the time could not have done more for me, Ashley. They went above and beyond, likewise, the company that my husband worked for. But it came to a stage where I was like, I can't go back to work. I'm not well. And it was this moment of, I am so stuck. This cannot be my life. I am so unhappy. This I just refuse for this to be my life. I felt like I was in a game of chess. And, you know, it's almost like I hadn't made a move in a very long time. And it was just this moment of clarity of you're not living, Laura. You're not engaging in life. Stop looking for the perfect next step and just make a move. Make any move. You need to start participating in this game again. So that day, literally, I made a quick decision. I applied for a marketing role. It was a part-time role. It was more junior. And I got the job. And I was too scared to tell them why I had been out of work for nearly three years. Because again, the shame, what will they think? They won't hire me. I can't tell them. And they, they might be listening to this now going, 
why didn't you tell us, Laura? And in hindsight, I know they would have supported me. But as a woman, I was too scared to tell them. So I went back to work, which was terrifying after three years. And it was more terrifying because I was holding this big, shameful secret of why I hadn't worked. And it, I got on great. It was, I really enjoyed it. And I realized at that moment, what was missing in my recovery was having a sense of purpose and meaning and getting a bit of me back and getting back to work. So I did that. And then I got pregnant with Alex, who is my second little boy. And again, all of the feelings you feel when you've had a miscarriage, I'm going to lose him. This isn't going to stay. And he did stay. I had trouble. I had a massive bleed at 28 weeks pregnant, thought I was going to lose him. He arrived. I had a really traumatic birth. I had a massive postpartum hemorrhage. Um, and I just remember the next morning. So that happened on a Friday night. The next morning they gave him back to me because I wasn't able to mind him. And I just remember looking at his gorgeous little face and he was calm. It was just this calmness, actually. This gorgeous little baby who wasn't screaming because he'd reflux. While I felt physically awful, I didn't feel that dread. And this moment of absolute sadness just washed over me where it was the realization of you didn't get this the first time you were in. You were absolutely robbed of it. I never had that calmness. And it was just the most beautiful few days in hospital with him because my husband and I were like, he's just eating and sleeping. Look at him. We had never seen that. And I realized at that point I wasn't broken. It wasn't anything I did. I was an amazing mom. I just had a really hard experience. So we had Alex and we brought him home. <laughs> this is it, Laura. This is when you are going to deliver your promise to moms. You are going to do something to use this experience to help moms at all stages make sure that their mental health is okay. So I applied for a life coaching course, did it, became a trained life coach. And I still didn't really know what I was going to do with it. And it was just this moment of, I'll be a life coach for moms. <laughs> I am going to be that person that will help moms of like through pregnancy or mom of teenagers understand what's going on in their life, get clarity on what they need and want and how to do it so that they're not feeling so alone in their journey as moms. And I did that. And then the week I decided to set it up, I found that I was pregnant with Anna. Massive surprise. And it was a complete shock because I was like, no, I was done with two. I was done. And again, that feeling of, well, Mother Nature is probably going to take over. She's probably not going to stay. And she did stay. <laughs> and it was almost like a perfect pregnancy in every level. And while I was pregnant, I was working really hard to build the business. And suddenly women from the UK and Ireland started connecting with me. And suddenly I had clients that were working with me and I was working with them. And it was like, wow, there's something in this, Laura. It's not just me who experienced this. And again, it wasn't just women who had gone through what I had, but women who were like, I've been a mom for five years. I just feel like I've lost myself. I don't know who I am anymore. I have experienced mom guilt. I don't know what to do about my career. I'm just helping them get clarity on what they need and want in life and how to, to go about it. I think having Alex and Anna healed me in some way because I realized I wasn't broken, Ashley. And then it was sort of when Anna was born, Alex was 18 months old. And I suppose I started noticing that he still had no words. And I was like, something's wrong here. Something's not right. And again, went to all the healthcare professionals. He's fine. And I was like, I think he's autistic. And I got him a private assessment and it turned out he was autistic. And that was really, really hard to hear because, again, what did I do wrong? And, and again, I've learned so much about autism since that 
yes, there's hard parts to it, but there's other amazing parts to it too. And he's such a little blessing in our life. And then I started looking at my eldest son going, oh, but if that's what autism looks like, could he be autistic? So then Leo was diagnosed with autism. When I look back at where I was five or six years ago, there is no way I would have been able to navigate the things I have navigated in the last 18 months. You know, a surprise pregnancy, two of my children being diagnosed with autism, setting up a business and everything that goes with that. And I 100% credit life coaching for that. I went through intense therapy. It never worked for me. Um, It wasn't until I went through life coaching that all of the parts just clicked together. And I was like, oh, that's what all of that means. That's what I need to do. That's how I can look after myself. And as a mom, I still have really, really hard days, actually. It's not like (laughs) I'm this perfect mom who has it all together. I still have days where I cry in the toilet. I still have days where I snap at my kids where they get frozen pizza for dinner. But that's okay because I now have the tools to navigate that and I now don't sweat the small stuff. It's not about giving our kids organic food all the time or not being 100% attentive all the time. It's the bigger picture, Ashley. And I want to create a world where my kids will be happy and where I will just be that person for them for the rest of their life. And yes, Leo and I had a little rocky start, we have the most amazing journey now. And that's what I meant at the start where it had a really sad beginning. And we probably didn't even go into as much detail as we could have in that, Ashley, but it was really horrendous. And I put myself back together and now I use that to put other moms back together or help them figure out whatever challenge they're going through or whatever stage of motherhood they're at. So that's the happy ending. If you're going through this now, you're going to be okay. If you felt any of this, it's going to be okay. Your story, I mean, it's brought me to tears, but you do not have to worry, I'm certain, about any negative reaction. I'm sure that there'll be people listening who are feeling heard, feeling understood. And honestly, if I could have listened to this during the times when I felt alone, because I honestly felt like a total freak. And there was this book about um, somebody who wrote, she was, I think she's German, I can't remember her name now, but she wrote about regretting motherhood. And she was basically, I think it was in the 80s or 70s. And she was basically treated um, by the public like a sort of monster. And I remember thinking, if I ever speak up about things like this, am I going to be seen as a monster? But the fact that you're you're here and you're telling your story and I know, and also you're, help, you're helping mums. And as you said, mental health sadly is you know, it's on the rise. We know that there's a huge mental health um, crisis. And I think the more we talk about these things and raise awareness of it, the more we create a more compassionate society. And it's really interesting because I also trained as a life coach during lockdown. And at the time, I, it wasn't mums that I ever thought I needed to help because I was, I was still in that pregnancy of like, I'm going to have a baby and be back to normal in six weeks. And I was meant to launch a co- coaching platform after six weeks. But obviously, things just com- took a completely different turn. And for me, it was around, um, you know, helping people in with like relationship statuses and, um, you know, people, especially in their 30s being single. But I have to say the tools of life coaching are second to none. And for anyone who is listening, who feels like they do need more support or they do want help, can you just share exactly what you do with Mind Mummy Coaching? If you're a mom listening now, and you are feeling like, oh, but I just feel a bit guilty or I just feel like this. What you're feeling is very real and valid and you're allowed to feel it. You never have to justify your feelings. So that's the first thing. It's okay. Second thing is how I help mums. I'm so glad you said that because 
I think as mums, so I work with mums at all stages of motherhood, right through from pregnancy. My latest client has an 18 year old, right? And very often in the, you know, in the corporate world of life coaching, you know, you probably remember this from your training. It's all about what's your goal and what's your action. (laughs) I'm a little bit different. I'm coming at it from the level of motherhood. Many moms come to me and they'll say, I don't know what I need help with. I'm just feeling a bit stuck. I'm just trying to make this decision and I can't, or I'm in recovery from postnatal depression, or I just have lost myself. I don't know who I am, whatever it might be. And what I do is I help them get real clarity on what is going on in their life, what they need and want, what it is they're trying to achieve. And then we figure out how to achieve it. And very often the biggest thing that's blocking mums in achieving what they want is guilt. It's guilt or this belief of I'm not allowed to do that. And one of the things I really encourage my mums to do is prioritize self-care. I hate self-care. It's such a dirty word. But what I mean is it's, it's the relationship you have with yourself as mums. Think about it. How much is that inner critic in your head all day? I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. I should have done this better. And it's about tuning into that and shifting that so that you're giving yourself permission to do what you need and want to do, not what you think you should. It's about what you need and want. So I credit life coaching that for that. It's so powerful. And the moms I work with, they literally one or two sessions in are like, I didn't know what you did, but now I get it. And many of them will say, I've been through loads of therapy. I have actually got more from the last hour than I ever did. So it's about if you're experiencing any health challenge in pregnancy or beyond, it's a maternal mental health challenge. You don't have to have postnatal depression to seek out for help. Guys, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on uh, WhatsApp. Obviously, you can send um, a voice message for free. You can even do it anonymously if you don't want to put your name to it. The number is 075992757. Or you can email askmumsthewordpod at gmail.com. One voice note I do want to play before uh, I finish the podcast is from Sophie, who is also a mum of three. Um, and it actually ties in really well because she uh, talks about postnatal care, which is obviously one of the topics. Well, we both said we know we feel like there needs to be better postnatal natal support so I'm going to play that now. Hi Ashley I'm Sophie mum of three and I've just finished listening to one of your podcasts where you had someone leave a voice note called Izzy who was asked talking a lot about how she was really passionate about there being more care postnatally. I just wanted to let you know about an amazing course that I was lucky enough to do in Brighton and I just wish this was all over the country because it really did um, save me after having my first child and feeling like I was going a little bit mad. It's called Mummy Shock and it's a 10 week, I think it's a 10 week course once a week for new mums um, and it goes through all the stuff postnatally. So you bring your baby along, they make you a cup of tea and give you a biscuit and each week um, they go through a different topic. So you'll start off with, I guess, initial stuff and you will go through stuff like talking about your relationships. Everyone can share things if they want to. They don't have to if they don't want to. Each week someone has a chance to share their birth story if they want to. Um, and I just found it the most amazing course because I was really struggling. And it's about, so I think I went at about six weeks after having my baby. And I just thought maybe I was the only person in the world who didn't enjoy having a baby and it was such a relief to turn up to a group but everyone was feeling similar and um, finding it really hard and just to be able to share but also really get some really useful tools of talking through with they're all like trained therapists I think the lady that ran it all is anyway just thought maybe you'd be interested in looking them up because maybe maybe some people be interesting to talk to on the podcast what inspired them to start the course and some interesting stories from it because I really think this is what the this should be set up 
locally feel like the government should be doing something like this and helping fund more charities like this. The week before I went to the course saying to my husband, I was just so fed up, I wanted to put my baby in the bin and I felt awful. And I turned up to this course, I sat next to another girl and we were chatting and she said, I feel awful, but yesterday I said to my husband, I want to put my baby in the bin. And I thought, I am so glad that I'm not this awful person. It was such a relief and a weight um, taken off my shoulders knowing that other people felt the same um, and got through it. And I've had two more children. And I really think it was thanks to that that gave me the confidence to go again and enjoy my baby. So, yeah, I'll send the link now. Bye. When you hear that, it makes me want to move to Brighton. I love Brighton anyway, but wouldn't like why doesn't that why doesn't that exist you know why does it take someone going through what you went through uh Laura to have to set something up like it's so obvious when you hear it like that yeah actually I always say that so like on my Instagram page from Mind Mommy Coaching why does someone have to go online to get this advice why do they have to hear from me about matrescence and what you're experiencing is normal it's so so sad Ashley and I love that that lady shared her honesty over wanted to put my baby in the bin I love the honesty because we've all had thoughts like that it doesn't mean you're going to do it it just means you're a human being you're finding this really really hard and that's okay yeah and thank you so much for um leaving the voice message as well and for anyone in Brighton um definitely look into mommy shock I'm going to google it after this Laura honestly I loved today's um, episode. I'm so sorry for everything that you went through, but equally, um, I'm so glad that it's led you onto this path and that you're now helping other mums. So I'm going to put the details of Mind Mommy Coaching. Is it is it just for people in Ireland or is it global? Most of my clients now are Ireland and the UK. So it's all remote. Thanks to COVID, it's all online. So yeah, I do like workshops. I do one-to-one sessions. I do corporate talks because that's key. I support corporates as well, but I'm so grateful for you having me today Ashley I was nervous coming on but you know what I've set the story free now and I've set it free because I know I'm not the only one I've always said there's nothing special or unique about me I'm just talking about it and I need more women to talk about it talk to talk to me about it talk to someone because you deserve to be happy you deserve to take care of yourself and if you take care of yourself if you take nothing else from this podcast you need to take care of yourself in order to take care of them. So stop feeling guilty. Do what you need to do. That's all I'll say. <laughs> you said at the beginning you wanted you were gonna treat this because you were nervous of two mums having a coffee and I feel like it's a shame that we don't actually have the coffee and we're not in a coffee shop, but that's exactly how I felt. So um, I hope you guys loved it as well. And as I mentioned before, please get in touch and let us know. Um, thank you so much to you, Laura, uh, for your bravery and sharing your story. And I'll be back with another episode, same time, same place next week. I'm sure as parents, we all know how messy things can get, whether that's around the house, during mealtimes, and even when it comes to our little ones themselves. When it comes to wiping Alf's messy face and body, I want to be sure that what I am using is the best choice for his skin. With baby eczema and nappy rash being common conditions, using wipes for sensitive skin is a must. We've both been loving water wipes. We've actually used them since Alf was born and they gently clean and help protect delicate newborn and premature baby's skin. They're made of just two ingredients, so 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. That means they are the best wipe choice for sensitive skin. Alf loves them and I I even find myself using them. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.